Listen up, everybody. On Tuesday, March 19th, 4.15 Eastern Time, that's 1.15 here local in LA, I'll be hosting a webinar to discuss Cambria's two new ETFs, the Cambria Tactical Yield ETF, ticker TYLD, and the Cambria Micro and Small Cap Shareholder Yield ETF, ticker MYLD. Head over to Cambria's Twitter and LinkedIn pages to find the registration link. Once again, that's March 19th at 4.15 Eastern Time. Look forward to seeing you. Carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses before investing. This and other information can be found by visiting our website at www.cambryfunds.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of capital. The Cambry ETFs are distributed by Alps Distributors, Inc., member FINRA, FINRA. Welcome, podcast friends. We're back with volume six of the Best Investment Writing Series. Each year, our team carefully sorts through tons of research and investment letters from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world to pick the best of the best to share with you. We offer the authors of those pieces the chance to record an audio version as a segment of the podcast. Past participants included the likes of Cam Harvey, Larry Swedro, and Rob Arnott. This episode is sponsored by our friends at YCharts. It's always exciting when YChart releases a new enhancement to the platform, and just recently they launched the new Attribution Analysis Tool. It can help you see what's driving a portfolio's performance, displayed with quick-hitting and easy-to-understand heat map and bar chart views. You can use this for funds, ETFs, and model portfolios and see a quick screenshot of the top eight contributors and detractors over any time period or look at the full attribution table. I've used it to check out some of the strategies and love how easy it is to use. For current YChart users, you're likely already familiar with the power of their report builder and proposal generation offerings. Now you can integrate attribution tables and visuals into your proposals to help tailor the investment story that resonates with your clients. Check out this new feature for yourself and get 20% off your initial YCharts professional subscription when you start your free YCharts trial by going to ycharts.com slash meb dash Faber or just click the link in the show notes for new customers only. Enough from me. Let's get to our guests and let them take over this special episode. Hello, this is Guido Baltussen. I'm the head of equity factor investing and co-head of quant fixed income at Robico Asset Management which I combine with the role as Professor of Behavioral Finance and Financial Markets at Erasmus University, Rotterdam. Bobico is an international asset manager offering an extensive range of active investments from equities to bonds with about 180 billion US dollars assets under management. At Robico, research lies at the heart of investment decisions with a pioneering but cautious approach that has been in Robico's DNA since the foundation in Rotterdam in 1929. At Robico, we believe strongly in sustainable investing and also quantitative techniques with constant innovation. Quantitative investment strategies within equities and fixed income form about 40% of Robico's assets under management and are therefore one of the key pillars of Robico. Before we get to the piece, I'd like to thank Stream by AlphaStance for sponsoring today's episode. The money is being donated to GiveDirectly.org, a charity that provides help to people living in poverty. GiveDirectly is a non-profit organization that let donors send money directly to the world's poorest households, facilitating them to make choices that really improve their lives and help them to overcome poverty. 
Now let's get into the episode. My colleague Diana Kostic is going to read a piece titled The Cross-Section of Stock Returns Before 1926 and Beyond. That's joint work together with Pim van Vliet, Rubico's Head of Quantitative Equity, and Bart van Vliet, also working at Rubico and also one of the Rasmus University's most promising PhD students. The cross-section of stock returns before 1926 and beyond. Abstract. We studied the cross-section of stock returns using a novel constructed database of U.S. stocks covering 61 years of additional and independent data. Our database contains data on stock prices, dividends, and hand-collected market capitalizations for 1,488 major stocks between 1866 and 1926. Results over this pre-CRSP era reveal a flat relation between market beta and returns, an insignificant size premium, and significant momentum, value, and low-risk premiums that are of similar size as over the post-1926 period. Overall, stock characteristics can explain over 25% of variation in stock returns. Further, recent machine learning methods are successful in predicting cross-sectional returns out of sample. These results show strong out-of-sample robustness of traditional equity factors and novel machine learning methods. 1. Introduction Several studies reveal variables that predict cross-sectional differences in stock returns. Amongst others, Fama and French show that although market beta is typically not priced in the cross-section of stock returns, size and value are price stock factors. Jigadish and Titman, Asnes and Carhart identify momentum, and Eng, Hodrick, Ting and Zhang, Blitz and Van Vliet, and Francini and Peterson identify low risk via idiosyncratic volatility or beta as characteristics predicting stock returns. Further, Fama and French identify profitability and investments as two additional predictors. Importantly, most of the existing empirical asset pricing studies rely on a 50 to 60 year sample of US stocks, mostly covering the post 1963 period. However, this sample is extensively analyzed, raising the concern that studies on stock factors are potentially plagued by data dredging or p-hacking effects. Consequently, many of the stock factors that seem important in sample may lose explanatory power or even fail to hold up out of sample. As a case in point, Harvey, Liu, and Su find that over 300 documented stock-level anomalies Many become questionable after analyzing these in a rigorous testing framework that allows for multiple hypotheses testing bias. These worries hold even while many stock factors have been studied and confirmed in international markets, as the issue of whether these samples are truly independent remains. International markets are not independent from the U.S., as stock markets and its cross-sectional return patterns are integrated globally to a large degree. In fact, Linain Ma and Roberts and McLean and Pontiff show that many of the stock factors have shown to work both in the U.S. and internationally are smaller and less strong in pre-publication or post-publication sample. However, the empirical test is these studies often consist of 20 years of data or less. 
the resulting issue of limited statistical power can be addressed with a truly independent and sufficiently large sample. In this paper, we study the cross-section of U.S. stock returns using a novel constructed database of out-of-sample data over the period of 1866 until 1926. This pre-CRSP sample period is of about similar length as existing CRSP-based studies of 61 years and covers an economically important period that is independent to existing datasets. This period was characterized by strong economic growth and rapid industrial developments, laying the foundation for the U.S. becoming the leading economic power in the world. Stock markets were well developed as important trading venues, playing a pivotal role in economic growth and the financing of key innovations, with stock market capitalizations growing from 287 million U.S. dollars to 18.8 billion U.S. dollars. For the stocks included in our sample, about similar to nominal GDP growth. Opening up this new and large stock market database before 1926 provides new grounds for independent tests to better understand stock prices and drivers of return. As such, the first major contribution of this study is the creation of a novel database covering 61 years including the major stocks traded on the US exchanges during the second half of the 19th century and early 20th century. This database consists of stock prices, dividend yields, and market capitalization values with data from January of 1866 through December 1926. To our knowledge, we are the first to create a dataset for this period, including market capitalization values. Importantly, we hand collect market capitalization as an historical abundance of small stocks like banks, many subject to infrequent trading, could render findings economically less important. Strongly associated with earnings and seen as an important valuation tool for stocks. The second major contribution of this study is to examine the cross-section of stock returns out of sample in a robust and rigorous way. To this end, we focus on the most commonly studied stock characteristics that we can construct over our sample and avoid conducting a large data dredging exercise. Risk, measured by market beat-up but also by total volatility or idiosyncratic volatility. Firm size, measured as total market capitalization of equity, dividend yield, price momentum, and short-term one-month reversal. We include only those stocks which trade frequently and apply a wide range of liquidity and data quality filters to critically assess the economical and statistical robustness of the results. We test dividend yield as a proxy for value, as in the 19th century dividends were widespread. We start our analysis with Fama-Macbeth regressions and univariate portfolio sorts, both which we evaluate to prevent an undue impact of smaller stocks. In line with Black, Jensen, and Scholes, and Fama Macbeth, we find that market beta is not priced in the cross-section and the cap M on average fails to explain asset prices. Low beta stocks have positive alpha and high beta stocks have negative alpha over the 1866 until 1926 sample. Further, price momentum and dividend yield carry significant cross-sectional premiums or return spreads. By contrast, Size has no significant slope in Fama-Macbeth regression and no significant return spread in portfolio sorts, while short-term reversal is only significant in Fama-Macbeth regression.
combined, the six stock characteristics can explain 28% of the variation in stock returns. Next, we build PharmaFriend-style factor portfolios double-sorted on size and factor characteristic. As size is known to interact strongly with other characteristics and our historical sample includes sufficient coverage on market capitalization, we can control for interaction with size. Akin to Fritzini and Peterson, we lever beta-sorted portfolios to be market-neutral. Our main result for these standard factor 2x3 portfolios are summarized in Figure 1. We find economically substantial and statistically significant premiums and CAPM-alphas for momentum, dividend yield, and low risk, and insignificance of the size premium. For short-term reversal, we find significant premiums but insignificant CAPM-alphas. Overall, findings on stock factors are largely similar over the pre-1926 and post-1926 eras. Further tests show that these results are generally robust across time and testing choices, hold up across industries and exchanges, and are robust to various controls on data quality. Further, factor-spending tests reveal that momentum, dividend yield, low risk, but also short-term reversals are non-redundant asset pricing factors, while size is subsumed by the other factors. Overall, these results leave us to conclude that especially momentum, value, and low risk are persuasive empirical asset pricing factors. Data snooping influences factors evaluated in sample by tilting returns upward and covariances downward. This raises the question how the behavior of factor premiums over the 1866 and 1926 pre-CRSP sample compares to the post-1926 CRSP era. To examine this question, we next examine the decay of factor premiums between both periods. Factor premiums average 4.22% over the pre-CRSP sample and 5.7% over the CRSP sample period a difference that is insignificant. Similarly, we find no evidence for changes in factor correlations. In other words, we do not find significant out-of-sample decay of stock factor premiums. Next, we explore several features of the early sample period to provide insights into economic explanations of stock factor premiums. The 1866 until 1926 period is interesting for several reasons. First, the pre-sample is characterized by large macroeconomic shocks and market fluctuations, providing out-of-sample insight into macroeconomic risk explanations. For example, Asnes, Moskowitz, and Peterson find that value and momentum premiums link to macroeconomic risks. Second, delegated asset management was notably absent over this period, hence providing a natural test on the role of delegated management. Vinos and Rulli argue that momentum and value returns can originate from delegated management, as cash flows to investment funds influence prices. Third, momentum has been shown to carry crash risk. We find no clear evidence that macroeconomic risk explains stock factor premiums, as the factors generally bear no statistically or economically significant relation to common macroeconomic factors. Further, our results are inconsistent with the delegated management hypothesis as we find a significant momentum premium over the early sample, and we find no evidence of crash risk for momentum, opposite to the patterns 
observed post-1926. The third major contribution of this paper is to conduct an out-of-sample test of recent machine learning methods successfully applied in empirical asset-pricing literature. Gu, Kelly, and Xu find that machine learning models predict cross-sectional differences in stock returns over the period 1957 until 2016, a finding confirmed by Leopold, Wang, and Zhu for the Chinese stock market. Cross-sectional regression and portfolio sorts can miss important dynamics and interactions between variables such as return volatility and price momentum. See Gu, Kelly, and Zhu, 2020. However, the same modern 60-year sample period is used as in the traditional asset pricing studies, with the true testing period being half of size. Ultimately, machine learning models require out-of-sample testing in independent samples similar to traditional factor tests. With our new 61-year sample period, we apply the most promising machine learning techniques, finding these methods also work in this early sample. Portfolios sorted on expected return classifications from random forest and neural networks models yield significant annual CAPM alphas of 9.78% and 10.62%, respectively, outperforming a 1 over N portfolio of canonical stock characteristics. Interestingly, machine learning models mostly select the key equity factors, but then, in a fully data-driven manner, with little a priori guidance. The remainder of this paper is structured as follows. Section 2 describes the history of the U.S. equity market. Section 3 describes the novel database of U.S. stock prices between 1866 and 1926. Section 4 analyzes the cross-section of stock returns via Fama-Macbeth regressions and portfolio sorts. Section 5 analyzes the out-of-sample decay of factor premiums. Section 6 discusses the historical investability, followed by insights into economic mechanisms in Section 7. Section 8 examines machine learning in the cross-section of stock returns. Section 9 concludes. The online appendix provides extensive detail on the sample construction, data quality, historical investability, robustness test, and the machine learning models. 2. The pre-CRSP U.S. Stock Dataset, 1866-1926. We have compiled our data from several sources in order to obtain a reliable and historically extensive dataset. Our deep historical sample covers 61 years of data on monthly stock prices, dividend yields, shares outstanding, and market capitalizations all major stock trades on the New York Stock Exchange, New York Curb, and regional exchanges. The sample spans the period from January 1866 through December 1926 and is at the monthly frequency. We build our dataset from the Global Financial Data and the Commercial and Financial Chronicle, which we combine with risk-free rates from Jeremy Siegel's website. We combined this data with post-1926 data on equity factor returns from CRSP and Kenneth French's website in Section 4. Even though we, and the data vendors, have paid close attention to data quality, the deep historical data tends to be of lesser quality compared to the more recent data, as digital archives and strong requirements on data processes did not exist.
Compared to CRSP, we include fewer stocks in our final sample due to the use of our data filters and data quality screens, as we choose to focus on stocks with good data quality. In total, our sample includes 1,154 unique stocks between 1866 and 1926, after the data quality screens, showing that also delisted firms are included in the sample. Further, we classify the stocks in five sectors. 1. Financials, mostly bank stocks. 2. Infrastructure, mostly railroad stocks. 3. Energy, mining. 4. Utilities. And 5. Industrials and miscellaneous stocks. Infrastructure stocks accounted for approximately 80% of the market capitalization between 1866 and about 1890, after which energy, mining, and industrial stocks gained in importance through a series of new issue booms, becoming of similar importance in terms of market capitalization as infrastructure. See online appendix A, table A.5. Banks had a large number of listings, but many traded infrequently and had a lower market cap. For example, our sample has over 284 stocks pre-filters. In the banking industry, in 1896, but they only contributed to around 10% of the total market capitalization. The online appendix contains a further detail on these numbers. Let's discuss the annualized summary statistics on individual stock returns in our sample. The time series statistics are computed by first evaluating returns per month for each firm, and then averaging per decade. The valuated market index shows an average annual total return of 8.67% and volatility of 11.80% in this period. This compares with an average return of 11.24% and 18.44% volatility over the period 1927 until 2019. Further, dividends represent 81% of the average stock return similar to the findings of Eckeson, Hickson, Turner, and Yee for United Kingdom and United States stock markets in the 19th century. For comparison, in the CRSP sample, the dividend returns contributed to 32% of the total returns. 3. The cross-section of stock returns, 1866 and 1926. Next, we utilize our novel database and examine the cross-section of stock returns over the 1866 until 1926 period. Variables. A key question is, which variables to examine? To avoid conducting a large data dredging exercise, we focus on the characteristics that we can construct over our sample and are well documented in the literature, both in the U.S. and internationally. Beta, size, value, momentum, short-term reversal, and share issuance. As accounting data on balance sheet and income statements generally lack coverage and uniformity in the U.S. before about 1926, we refrain from testing anomalies that need accounting data, such as profitability. We measured the characteristics by following as closely as possible the common definition in the literature. Please refer to the paper for the full definitions. Fama-Macbeth regressions. We started our analysis by estimating monthly 
Palma and Macbeth regressions to estimate premiums associated with the above stock characteristics without a need to specify portfolio breakpoints or other degrees of freedom. First, we find a flat relationship between market beta and return, with a slope coefficient close to zero. In other words, the cup M fails in the cross-section of stock returns over the pre-CRSP sample, similar to the findings of amongst others Fama and French over a more recent sample. A similar finding we observe for size, with no significant relationship between market capitalization and returns. However, we like to note that this result depends critically on the use of value weights. As tests reveal a negative slope that is marginally significant when using equal weights. Further, dividend yield, our proxy for value, carries a positive slope in direction similar to the results of book-to-market ratio over the CRSP sample period. Momentum has a significantly positive slope, while short-term reversal has a significantly negative slope, again akin to more recent sample results. Finally, we test share issuance via including a dummy on zero share issuance stocks and a continuous measure on the remaining stocks. As most stocks did not issue or repurchase shares over our sample, on average 71% of firm month observation have a zero share issuance. Although this limits the power of a share issuance test significantly, we find that share issuance has a significantly negative slope. The last column on Table 2 shows these results also hold up in a multivariate setting. In total, these six characteristics explain 28% of the cross-sectional variation in returns. Univariate Portfolio Sorts Next, we examine the performance of value-weighted portfolios or follow Fama and French and construct standard 2x3 portfolios sorted on size and a characteristic. The results generally confirm the Fama-Macbeth regression results. Size is not significantly priced, while especially value, momentum, and beta are. For detailed information on the regression results, please refer to the paper. The results generally show up in both small-cap stocks and large-cap stocks. Several studies reveal that average returns on factor portfolios tend to be larger in the small-cap space than in the large-cap space. Focusing on CAPM alphas of the long-short factor portfolios, we find a higher factor premium amongst small stocks for all four factors. Although economic differences with larger cap stocks are limited, being below 1% for all factors. Robustness to methodological variations and data filters. Next, we examine the robustness of the above portfolio sort findings for common variation in the sorting or portfolio construction procedure. Robustness of portfolio results across testing choices in an additional manner to limit the influence of p-hacking. We consider the following variations. Univariate, sorted, tercile, and decile portfolios. Although idiosyncratic risk in these portfolios tend to be high in especially the early half of our sample as the number of stocks per portfolio is limited, 2x5 size characteristic sorted portfolios or 2 by 3 size characteristics sorted portfolios that are either equally weighted or sector neutral by ranking with each sector. Overall, we find similar results. For detailed information, please refer to the paper. Spanning tests. Next, we run spanning regressions of each 2 by 3 long short factor portfolio on all other factors to examine factor redundancy. 
These findings show that momentum, dividend, short-term reversal, and low beta are non-redundant asset pricing factors. 4. Out-of-sample decay. Several studies reveal evidence of substantial out-of-sample decay of stock factor premiums. McLean and Pontiff show that the performance of trading strategies declines after the publication of research papers that document their discovery. Linain Ma and Roberts consider the performance of accounting-based equity anomalies in the period before and after discovery and find a substantial weaker out-of-sample performance for both subsamples. This raises the question how the estimated premiums over the post-1926 CRSP era compare to premiums over the 1866-1926 until pre-CRSP sample. To study out-of-sample decay, we measured the performance of the 2x3 sorted high-low portfolios over the 1866-1926 until pre-CRSP and 1927-2019 until CRSP sample periods and examined returns spreads and CAPM alphas. Return spreads and CAPM alphas are generally of similar size over the pre-CRSP and CRSP samples being non-significantly different for most characteristic sorted portfolios. The exception is standardized reversal, having a significantly lower return spread and CAPM alpha over the 1866 until 1926 period. Small minus big has an insignificant CAPM alpha over both periods, while high minus low, momentum, and beta all have significant CAPM alphas over both periods. Return spreads CAPM alphas average 4.22%, 5.46% over the pre-CRSP sample and 5.7%, 5.85% over the CRSP sample period. Overall, we find no significant evidence of an out-of-sample decay in stock factor performance, in contrast to, for example, the results obtained by Linainma and Roberts for several accounting-based equity anomalies. To maximize testing power, we also compute the full sample results. These results confirm the results above. 5. Economic Explanations We have documented robust evidence for the pricing of several equity characteristics over an economically important out-of-sample period covering 61 years of independent data. Next, a natural question is what drives the document returns? We considered the role of macroeconomic risks, delegated asset management, and crash risk, and find none can sufficiently explain factor premiums. For detailed information, please refer to the paper. 6. Machine learning in the cross-section of stock returns. So far, we have examined the pricing of stock returns using traditional techniques that model returns as mostly a linear function of characteristics. Interestingly, Several recent studies show that great promise of machine learning models using dozens of characteristics with nonlinear interactions for understanding the cross-section of stock returns. At the same time, the machine learning samples are relatively small, especially compared to typical machine learning applications. Ultimately, machine learning models require out-of-sample testing in independent samples, similar to canonical factor models, a challenge we pick up next. To apply machine learning to the pre-CRSP stock sample, we largely follow JKX. To limit the number of tests, and hence the degrees of freedom, 
we focus on two machine learning methods, random forests and neural networks with three hidden layers. As JKX and Leipold, Wang, and Cho show, these tend to be superior models for predicting stock returns in the cross-section. We largely follow JKX in applying random forest and neural networks. Akin to JKX, we find machine learning models predict cross-sectional differences in U.S. stock returns. These findings align with those of JKX and labeled Wang and Cho that neural networks tend to be better machine learning models in the U.S. CRSP sample and the Chinese stock market. 7. Conclusion We construct a novel database of U.S. stock prices, dividends, and market capitalizations for 1,488 major stocks between 1866 and 1926, thereby extending the CRSP sample with 61 years of additional and independent data. Opening up this new and large stock market database allows for an examination of the cross-section of U.S. stock returns out of sample in a robust and rigorous way. Findings over the 1866 until 1926 pre-CRSP period largely confirm key findings observed on post-1926 CRSP sample. The relationship between market beta and return is flat. The size premium is insignificant, while momentum, dividend yield as proxy for value, and low-risk factor premiums are economically sizable and statistically significant. Overall, stock characteristics can explain over 25% of variation in stock returns. Further, we find no significant evidence of out-of-sample decay of stock factor premiums, with factor premiums averaging 4.22% over the pre-CRSP sample and 5.7% over the post-1926 period. Hence, most of the studied equity factors premiums are robust and persuasive empirical asset pricing anomalies, also out-of-sample. Moreover, macroeconomic risks do not materially explain factor premiums. Finally, we explore recent machine learning models showing they are successful in predicting cross-sectional returns out of sample. Interestingly, these models are selecting the key equity factors, but then in a fully data-driven manner with little a priori guidance. Overall, our results show strong out-of-sample robustness of traditional equity factors and machine. Oh,